it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Geraldo Rivera is uh, is queuing up, and we have Pete, Rachel, and Will from the Weekend Show, Fox and Friends Weekend, about to join us. And of course, your calls. Uh, you could also write me, BrianKilmeade.com. It's been a wild week, a lot going on in a lot of different ways, and a lot of things to explore and dive into. Uh, the President of the United States, I think, is getting a lot of pressure now to meet with Kevin McCarthy, but I would add something else to that. He is uh, not responding to it. In fact, I believe he's going back to Delaware. It's unbelievable how much, how, how long this guy waited to be president and how little time he spends in the White House. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Unlike the Title 42 Public Health Authority, the penalty for being removed from the United States under Title VIII through expedited removal and other immigration laws we will be enforcing is not just removal. Really? Tick, tick, tick. The clock is running down on Title 42 as it morphs into something called, as you just heard, Title VIII. We'll explain, but if you are convinced, it'll stop the massive illegal immigration wave. Number two. He's putting our economy in jeopardy. And he's saying these outrageous things. He says our bills will, um, like, melt children's bones. <laughs> McCarthy proves Biden wrong and passes his plan for cutting, uh, for cutting uh, spending to raise the debt ceiling. Now, the pressure's on the White House to grind out a deal. This is only 35% of American people approve of the Biden economy. Number one. It is entirely normal for a president to be briefed on reporters who will be asking questions at a press conference and issues that we expect they might ask about. No, not verbatim questions exactly on the topic, almost to the word that the L.A. Times reporter spouted out now denies. Joe and Nulo, a rigged uh, presser discovered as an implausible explanation, as you just heard, uh, was on his note cards. We don't dot, we don't buy it. Either do you. His approval ratings, according to Gallup, 37 percent, four points below where Trump was. And that was in the middle of the throes of the Mueller investigation, which we found out was a total hoax. Let's bring in Geraldo Rivera. Uh, not yet. I don't don't feel like bringing him in yet. Um, I hope he doesn't stay mad at me. So they do a poll on Gallup, and I'll expand on it a little bit, on his job performance. Now, when it comes to national security, 45% say good job. On the Russia-Ukraine war, 43%. On immigration, 36%. On China, 35%. Guns, economy, all 35% approval. The most important issues facing the country, according to a Fox News poll, the economy, number one, 24%. A subset of that, in my view, is inflation, 16%. Instead of it being 3%, it's back up to 4.2%. Gun control, 12%. Republicans and Democrats uh, are seen both off on that. Political division, 7%. Corruption, 6%. Immigration, just 5% are concerned about that, which means you don't work in a big city or in a border state. So these are some of the things that matter. And one thing is pretty clear on the Republican side. Donald Trump's got momentum, got 2,000 people in New Hampshire yesterday. He's been picking his spots to speak out. 
letting Joe Biden's performance speak more while he's dealing with a few court cases. Geraldo Rivera used to be in court. He used to uh, be a lawyer for a living. Now he doesn't have to. Co-host of The Five. Geraldo, how do you explain the 37 percent approval rating, according to Gallup, for the president? Well, you know, I know I'm not sure, Brian, I haven't checked the numbers yet, how that uh, jives with uh, President Trump at this stage of his uh, of his tenure. Uh, people get kind of uh, morass, uh, depression, uh, the down, uh, anger uh, simmering. I think things tend to sort themselves out. I think it is extremely impressive, however, in fairness, to say that uh, the resilience of uh, Donald Trump in terms of popularity within the Republican Party is extraordinary. His, his, it really harkens back to the days when he used to say he could fire a gun on Fifth Avenue and nobody would, uh, would care. Uh, I, I, I think the Teflon Don – uh, you know, uh, moniker might be more appropriate now than ever, Brian. So Reince Priebus talked about, looked at the press conference, and you have to admit that what an embarrassment that is, Geraldo. I know you weren't on the five during it, but you could see the question about South Korea being upset about our CHIPS Act. And it was basically there in a more explicit way with a picture in the L.A. Times reporter. And you factor that on the last time we saw his note cards, it said walk in the room, sit in the empty chair, greet people at the end of it, walk out. It actually said that on a card. Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal said this last night, cut 19. Found it kind of refreshing and amusing, the president admitting that he takes orders. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a bit of honesty there. Look, I think since the beginning of the time that he's been in office, there's been enormous questions about the degree to which he is handled. OK, and you see evidence of that all the time. The fact that they keep him so closely scripted, the fact that when he goes off script, they have these incredible cleanup crews that come along, the lack of press conferences. You know, and we've seen these little cheat sheets before, never one quite as detailed as this. So that's where we're at right now. No press conferences. And when we do, we find out we got the questions ahead of time. The L.A. Times denies it. But what an embarrassment is for the L.A. Times, too, isn't it? It's it's hard for me to to really uh, give you a a fair opinion about that, thinking about it. I'm not sure that, uh, uh, you know, these various uh, prophylactic techniques to protect uh, President Biden from himself uh, aren't uh, something that they've done forever, just uh, maybe more organized now. I don't worry about that. I worry about whether or not uh, he knows uh, that the missile has been launched and we have to respond, or he knows that the American has been kidnapped or the ship has been seized or the inflation rate has gone crazy or you know some other crucial issue, as long as he's getting good advice uh, and he's uh, he's in, intact enough mentally, mentally uh, his acuity is uh, sharp enough that he knows what the hell is going on. Uh, you know, people feel comfortable with Biden. It's obvious. I, I started this by saying how impressive I. I don't think it's uh, I obvious. Trump rather. is. I, I think that Biden versus Trump is is the match we're going to see, and I, I think it'll be very close. But Biden has very strong assets that maybe. Uh, we overlook at uh, our peril, Brian. Well, I just think in the battleground states, it's tactically got to be fought out. There's nobody who ha- who really feels comfortable with the way Joe Biden's performing. Do you know he didn't know what country he was in yesterday? And a kid had to yell out you were in Ireland last week. You yell out you were in Ireland. Here's Mike Allen on the age in campaigning. Cut eight. 
You see it in poll after poll. What's the big doubt the Democrats have when they say that Biden either shouldn't run or they wonder uh, how he would really do? And that is age. President Biden, who's 80, the oldest president, would be 86 by the time he got out of office. And there's a huge conversation about this behind the scenes. The White House hates the topic, brushes it off, but you get them behind the scenes. And we have this great reporting showing that when you talk to aides privately, they'll say, well, the president's mentally sharp for his age. The president travels a ton for his age. They keep slipping that phrase in. How does that manifest itself? A campaign where a lot of it is going to be run from the White House, from Washington. You live and breathe the president's schedule. You know that he rarely does things early in the morning, rarely does events at nighttime, rarely does events on the weekend. So there's no doubt about it. I really do things in the morning or the, at night or the weekends. Uh, l- listen, I, I think uh, the death of Jerry Springer at the age of 79 uh, yesterday, uh, which is exactly my age. Actually, I'm, uh, I'm a bit uh, older than Jerry Springer. But his tragic death uh, to, uh, uh, to cancer uh, was shocking. And it seems that that's kind of uh, 79, 80 is when uh, – if men, if they're going to step off the uh, curb, is when they they tend to do it. He seems to be past that. His uh, uh, his life expectancy now is six, seven years, according to the. I'm just going by. Uh, uh, I'm going by what Google says. If you're 80, you're probably going to live to be 86. Uh, I I think the bigger issue of all of this, and you haven't mentioned it yet, is uh, while the Democrats have uh, their trump card, uh, excuse the expression, is the abortion issue, uh, I I also think that uh, Kamala Harris is a, a gigantic issue in Democratic uh, uh, circles and with the American people. She's a, an enormously unpopular vice president. Actuarially speaking, going back to the numbers, there's a fair chance that uh, she will be president, uh, that uh, Joe Biden will expire at some point between now and his 86th birthday. That's, that's what Nikki Haley said. And uh, But I think that, uh, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. And then... Uh, uh, you know how it, I, I think that that is the strongest suit the Republicans have to play. That do you want uh, you know traditional Democrat activist leftist AOC? Well, I got so, uh, I got know. something on that. There seems to be a needed done. Is his job is to rehabilitate and make her a, a legitimate alternative because right now everyone concedes all sides that she's had a terrible two and a half years. So look for the positive stories just to pop out. And sure enough, the Washington Post, how Kamala Harris is just thirst for foreign policy, knowledge and experience. Every time a leader comes to visit, they make sure to get to the vice president's residence because they know how uh, how engaged she is on foreign policy. It begins. I know when I'm being manipulated. Well, you know, they have to do something that is extremely difficult. Some people have likability, and it's, I know it's a squeegee term. Some people just have that little charisma that uh, that touches people, and they, they like that person. And some people just can't shake a kind of a gloomy, uh, you know, uh, looks like a, a fake, plasticky uh, image. Yes, just some people have it and some people don't. Uh, I, and it just, I listen, I think she's – has amazing credentials, 
senator from California, attorney general, district attorney, uh, all of those things. Uh, and having now been vice president for two and a half years, uh, you know, she, she she just hasn't cut the mustard yet. I mean, it may be you can turn it around, but it's hard to make someone likable that's not likable. And I say this with regret because I, I would love. I know. On, on you give resume, her every she's chance. A, she's you, a great, a great figure on the resume, a, a historic figure, of course. And I, I, just, I would I would love her to be successful and the American people to feel some right. comfort that uh, there is a, a transition if, uh, if God right. forbid, something happens to the president. Rather, when are we going to get past checking the boxes thing? Oh, he's he's uh, he's gay. He's Hispanic. He's oh, a gay a Hispanic. Good, a good, uh, a gay Filipino. A good, uh, you know, can we? Uh, you know, I, can we just got to get past this because they're making America constantly look at the person across from them and saying, "What's what's oppressive? What's been oppressed? Uh, what makes you unique?" Uh, and instead of just looking at them as Americans, I think we're doing I, a much better job looking at each other as Americans in the '80s and '90s than we are today. You, I mentioned the death of Jerry Springer in the 80s and 90s, of course, when I had my infamous yeah. daytime talk show. Uh, Jerry joined uh, five years after I started. Uh, but back in the 80s and 90s, we talked with much more uh, uh, freedom about issues like uh, gender, uh, t- transgenderism, yeah. and all the, those related issues that seem to have clouded the, many of the eyes of the, of the Democrats. Uh, it, it was a fluidity. It was a go. Yeah, of course, you talk about this, you talk about that. You, you're kumbaya. You do this, you do that. I do my thing, you do your thing. Now it's so different, and it, and it's so. I I, I mark it to, uh, you know. I, I don't know. The January sixth started. Where did it start? Yeah. Uh, it was inconceivable back in the day, my day, uh, uh, at the daytime talk show that the Bud Light thing would ever have happened. Right. Well, uh, well, did you, you ever know, think a, to, a, the face the face of the Biden administration is a man in a dress with a mustache stealing luggage? That <laughs> that that's the that's the face of the Biden administration. <laughs> so I I just don't get it. Just checking boxes. Can we just have can we just have the best people, please? Well, uh, speaking of the best people, I'm I'm, I'm comforted that you are uh, in the eight o'clock uh, position on our beloved network right now, Brian. Thanks. Just one more day. Uh, and just uh, one more day. Yeah, I knew there was somebody that was happy about it. I just didn't know who it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need we just needed to steady things down. Right. This too shall pass. Thanks so much, Harada Rivera. Appreciate it. Okay, Brian. Thank you, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got the calls when we come back and. Let's go to BrianKillMe.com. Click on comments. Uh, I'm reading a lot of them. And we're going to put some of them up on the One Nation on Saturday, too. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. As far as we're all concerned, I know this to be true. The people will not be silenced. Together, we will fight. And we will fight because we love our country. 
Together, we will fight for our democracy and our ideals. And I believe when you know what you stand for, you know what to fight for. On every one of these issues, we know what we stand for. We know what we fight for. And when we fight, we win. And what they're going to try to do now is have Anita Dunn remake uh, Kamala Harris's image. Did you see the story uh, that she loves, you know, as I just mentioned, Geraldo Rivera, uh, that she wants to put it out there, that she loves talking foreign policy, that every world leader likes going over to the observatory, the vice president's residence so they can talk about it. I don't see it. If there was a strong vice president, you could just you could be the king of England and be Joe Biden. But nobody thinks that Joe Biden's on the money. It's not just his age. Which, and what's associated with it, a stigma, but it's how he's acting. That's the whole thing. Because a lot of people listening to me right now who are Joe Biden's age and extremely vigorous and do not act like Joe Biden. Here's RFK Jr. on WABC last night, Cut 5. I'm not running a mean-spirited campaign against Joe Biden. I've been friends with Joe Biden for 40 years. I, I'm grateful for his service to our country, his family's service to our country, but I just disagree fundamentally with him on where the country's going. And that's why he's got he's running and he's got 19 percent of the vote. Believe me, on the right, you got all these formidable candidates with high name ID. Tim Scott's in single digits. Uh, Mike Pence is in single digits. Nikki Haley's in single digits. The only one in double digits to Trump is Ron DeSantis. RFK has really no big political background as a politician. doesn't run for office I know of. He's got issues, obviously, usually way to the left. But when it comes to vaccine, he's not buying it. And I believe that's the cause of his vocal issues. The big story for Republicans is Governor Jim Justice. He says, I'm going to run for Joe Manchin's Senate seat. He's got 66 percent approval already already for being governor. And he beats Manchin by 20 points. That could flip the Senate. Cut 12. How in the world do you think we're perceived with our allies? I mean, look what happened in Afghanistan. Look what's going on at the border. Look what's going on with inflation. Look what's going on with energy. It's just all over the park. But we're going to have to do something about it. And we're going to have to elect somebody that has done it. And that's what he wants to do. And he is firmly in Trump's camp. Him and Trump are really tight. They have a lot in common. Believe it or not, Jim Justice is considerably richer. He evidently had a handful of coal mines he inherited from his dad, and he made it into this sprawling empire, this huge agriculture empire, owns resorts like the Greenbrier. Um, this guy, everything he touches goes great. And, I, and they love him in West Virginia. So he runs, he's in. Maybe Joe Manchin won't even run, but that would be a Republican seat that would, could be the difference. Uh, hey, Democrats, be nice to Joe Manchin. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Finish and then say, any questions? Okay, let's get out of here. Now you have a whole little time to think about it, but we'll take a few questions, okay? You think Biden takes questions? I don't think so. I don't think so. You saw yesterday he had the cue card. He said, call this one. This is what she's going to ask, and here's the answer. They never did that with me in the White House, I can tell you.
I'm pretty sure he's 100% right on that. And that was Donald Trump at a New Hampshire event where he attracted 2,000 people. Um, and he's just working his way through. He's got to feel good about the polls. How do I know he feels good? Because I guess we're on his text chain. And when the polls are good, you get a lot of texts uh, from his people. Uh, with us right now is two people, three people very sick of each other. They work with each other constantly, and they put on a brave face. And I'm making them do it again. Uh, playing the role of Pete Hexeth. Pete Hexeth. Uh, looks, you look really good. I could be Will Kane today. You could, Will Kane playing white, right? And, and white play, guys are interchangeable. Uh, they, I've heard that. <laughs> that's pretty good. And that is allowed to be said. Uh, and playing center forward is yeah. There she is. What is, Rachel center, what is center forward? <laughs> Come that on, a, that was a soccer reference. It's a soccer, soccer reference. Okay. Yeah. So um, first off, do you, uh, Rachel, pretend they're not here? Do you like? You're gonna w- introduce me, or are we just gonna leave? Oh, them I'm like sorry. That? <laughs> <laughs> Will See, Kane he is here. These white guys are interchangeable. Too. Right, absolutely. I'm like, once I have introduced one, do I need to do the other? Uh, but Will Kane is here too, fresh off an appearance on Fox and Friends. That's right. How weird was that today? Sitting around. Uh, all five of us, was it five? Yeah. And then eventually six of us just talking as if the show hasn't started yet, yet it was the A block in the final hour. It was awesome. It was unscripted. It was right. conversational. You were loving it. We looked up, Pete and I both noticed five minutes in, yep. you had this smile you the couldn't wipe off grin. your face. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Did you, Rachel? Yeah, no, I loved it. It felt like what we all talk about in the commercial breaks, which mm-hmm. is Dinner, nice. Or the dinner table. Yeah. Right, just yeah. like you shoot around, and I, uh, I was talking to a bunch of people. I had a focus group on the side, and they said I made the most sense. And I go, yeah. well, it's kind of awkward. <laughs> Could you tell Peter Will to bring it up? And they didn't. So, but you were brilliant, Brian. Right, thank you. Uh, what did you think about what I would, uh, what Donald Trump said, and contrast it with what Joe Biden said with the written questions for him? Well, that's going to be the contrast. It's not going to be about age. It's going to be about competency. It's amazing we're going to probably look at a repeat of 2020. It's sort of – you consider Never all things – it feels like almost inconceivable. If you pulled all of us two years ago and said, will it be Biden again considering where he is and how much he's declined and Trump again considering what he went through? But it is, uh, I think, indicative of the, the seismic nature of our politics today and what – Trump represents. And I think Biden is only there because of what Trump represents. The Biden people think he's, he, he beat Trump. He'll beat him again is with their That's view. That's what Joe thinks. That's their view. And they feel like they're standing athwart that. And the Trump side says we want a, a rematch. I think that's exactly right. And what that reveals is our politics today is defined by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Because your analysis that Joe Biden is simply a reaction to Donald Trump I think is spot on. So here's the thought experiment. If Donald Trump decided tomorrow that he didn't want to run for president, do you think that would open up the Democratic field to replace Joe Biden? No, oh, that's interesting. Possibly. I really do. I, I, there's not, Brian, there's not a single person in the Democrat Party that believes Joe Biden should be the candidate. And it, it just feels like this inevitability of the status quo that they want to maintain. It feels to me like – and not to undermine what you're saying because I think you're right. It, it, Joe, Joe Biden is a reaction – to Donald Trump, but I also feel like there are really powerful forces behind Joe Biden. It's really clear somebody else is running the show. Same way to put Fetterman in office. Well, kind of, but but well, that's Giselle Fetterman <laughs> put Fetterman in office. But the people of Pennsylvania are just going to vote I, for a guy that can't talk. No, no, I I I agree yeah. completely. But I think that in this case, they the people who are running the show feel like they can do more with him because with Joe Biden, because he's just he's just there. I mean, he doesn't know what's going on. He's taking long naps. Um, He can't even I mean, why this 
press conference with kids yesterday was so embarrassing. Right. And again, if this had happened to Donald Trump, if Donald Trump had a bunch of kids ask him questions and he couldn't remember where he was on his last trip to his homeland, um, this would be 25th Amendment, 25th Amendment. Oh, yeah. Exactly. We would never bring that they, up. Yeah, exactly. But it's not. And so this shows you it's 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 big tech. It's big media. It's it's big corporate interests but, like pharma well, and it's the military industrial complex. Yeah. And I think everything you say is correct. But building on what you just said, do you remember the story when Hillary Clinton, when Joe Biden was told by Barack Obama, basically, we're going with Hillary. And he had to go out in a, like a speech that lasted way too long, just basically for 40 minutes, everyone's sweltering and very uncomfortable. Barack Obama talked about his career and he's not going to be running. And But basically he was told by Barack Obama, I picked Hillary. And he was crushed by that. Evidently, they, they have not repaired their relationship. That was not his turn. Now they said it's his turn. And I'm struck that there's no Barack Obama. And, you know, it could be Westmore in, in Maryland, as you mentioned. Just go, yeah, I'm running. Oh, the machine's up behind me. They will be. Obama when I start is the wiping machine. The, when I, yeah, Obama oh, became the machine. That's right. Because he started winning. And because he's got talent. He's, there's Obama, so, but Clinton, he's the machine talent. behind Joe Biden. This is a third, this is a third term for I, Obama. I don't think they even talk. I think that the, the Obama people are there because I think uh, Susan Rice is there. No question. I think that uh, Ron Klain was doing a lot. I think he's doing stuff on the outside. I don't think that I, – what I find amazing is – I just had a sitting senator tell me the reason why Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden will never meet is because Joe Biden can't meet. Can you imagine wow. not being able to meet one-on-one with anybody? And to that point, Brian, wow. I am surprised. You asked the question. I am surprised that there is not a Democrat with more ambition willing to take I'd him run. Off. I think that RFK Jr.'s polling at 19% shows a real opening. I don't think RFK Jr. can win the Democratic primary. I think all three of us – I know that Rachel and I have discussed that he – Definitely introduces some fascinating subjects into the debate. But as to whether or not he can truly become the nominee for the Democrats, count me as more than skeptical. But that 19 percent should inspire Gavin Newsom. How interesting to have two populists like if you have Donald Trump and RFK Jr., you know, debating each other. I mean, it's just like it just transforms everything. Well, I had Marion Williamson on the eight o'clock show and basically she's like, yeah, this is what he's uh, the problem with the Democratic Party is not spending enough. And they spend too much money on defense. So I'm like, okay, she's got a terrible agenda. And she still has 9%. But don't think, I mean, there are people way to the left that want to get into this, including that guy, Wes Moore, the governor of Maryland now. Here's what Ryan Spreebus said last night about the difference between the two. Cut 17. The president, in my experience... He would we'd have a list of who all the reporters in the room were. He'd go up there. He'd rip through the list. He'd keep going. And in one time in particular, to give you the complete opposite experience, we were in the White House for about three weeks. The president said, I want to do a big press conference this week. And we said, "Okay, wait a minute. We got to plan this out. We got to know what the topics are. When do you want to do this press conference, Mr. President? And what he told the staff is. I'll tell you. No, no, that's what he said. I will tell you when I when I feel it, and you're gonna know when I want to do it. Okay. A couple of days later, we walk in the Oval Office. It's about ten thirty, and we kind of forgot about that conversation. The president said, "I'm feeling it today. Let's do the press conference." <laughs> it's just like a- right. I'm feeling it. I'm doing it. And every question was Mueller report. 
That's the frustrating thing. We never got questions on the topic and I the mean, issue. In the first three weeks, they were running the FBI at Michael Flynn in the White House. Right. Yes. They, they were under assault from the beginning. This is, this is the beginning of the Biden campaign controlling every single aspect. It is – when you look at what Binder or Karine Jean-Pierre said about this giving of the question, she didn't deny it. They, they work with reporters through concepts, which ends up being a question because you know exactly what the concept is. Uh, to pre-script the entire press conference because they know they can't even have a one-on-one meeting with Kevin McCarthy, certainly can't have adversarial press. They can't have a one-on-one with a seven-year-old visiting on go-to-work-with-your-parents day. I mean, they got, he got it wrong. I know. Uh, it's unbelievable that we might do this they, again. They asked him what country you were in last. He goes, I don't remember. And he's like, I, and there's some eight-year-old said yeah, Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> yeah, let's listen. Cut to one. What was the last country you traveled to? The last country I've traveled, I'm thinking once for the last one I was in. I, I've, I've been to 89, met with 89 heads of state so far. So uh, I'm trying to think, what was the last, where was the last place I was? It's hard to keep track. Um, I was, I, I mean, yeah, you're right, Ireland. I'm sure it sounds like where it was. Right? How did well, you some know adult that? yelled at first. You could yeah. hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to give him an assist. Maybe it's yeah. the Easter Bunny. Yeah. Right? Who, he needs the Easter Bunny. <laughs> who to- pushed him a year ago? The Easter Bunny took him away from the press. Yeah. Well, and so did Hunter. Remember, in Ireland, Ireland. Hunter was the the, was the, the, the the visiting angel. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if I can remember <laughs> where I was last week. I'm a little sympathetic. <laughs> Well, I'm not. Well, I, this is scary, actually. I, you know, I'm making a substance scary. point. He had I, a family I, I think vacation you make a substance our point, and I'm making a, a, a fun point. I, I do worry about my memory. On, I, I do, too. too. Oh, I, I do, too. But, but, the worst. I've said that before. Um, but I'm not the president of the United States, and I don't travel overseas that often, and I think I would remember. That I if just you went, went to back Ireland. to your homeland, like he made yeah, a big deal about it. Thing. Was, he it said, was "I Ireland. never want to leave." Yes, right. uh-huh. you know, I mean, and you don't forget like a, a place you never wanted to. He leave. has claimed Greek, said, unless, you can, unless you forgot you were there. You named the heritage. <laughs> he is Irish American. I mean, and he went there, and they did all this historical stuff. It's a weird thing to say you don't like to, to not remember. It's weird. Yes. It's scary. When we come back, what, what was the last place you went, Brian? My last overseas. place uh, overseas. Oh, it's been years. I have not. I even gone to Canada lately. I don't. I'm going to go this summer. I'm going to go to. I don't know if I should say. Should I say that? I don't know, but we uh, need somebody. Keep it pretty to yell general, Brian. Right. Keep it pretty general. Also, I found out too. My son doesn't have his passport updated. Yeah, you got to get. So that. He I just went through it, all so this. So he sends it out, right? And uh, I go. Uh, we have six months. And he goes, "Why?" I go, "You did expedite it, right?" He goes, "No, I, we have six months." And then they make a report. We're way behind on passports. Brian, I'm going through this right now. We're going to Spain in two or three weeks. Kids' passports expired. The federal government took COVID as an excuse to back everything up and never come back. I'm telling you, it takes forever to get anything. You have to get it expedited. I Uh, had to do that for the last year. Call your congressman. Really? I'm serious. Call your congressman. Do you know your congressman? I do know my congressman. Um, Do I know my congressman? Who replaced Peter King? Ireland. Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Gambarino, who is it? Yeah, Gambarino. Well, uh, I'll call Lee Zeldin. Yeah, <laughs> he's right next to me. Peter King used to be easy; he was two blocks away. Um, you just—I just grinded the whole show to the halt, didn't I? It's okay. Yeah, I it's loved a, it. It's a shame. It's good. That's the guy. That's the guy if saying it's not my show. Meets Congress. Right? <laughs> call in, right? If you don't mind. Well, that's Chuck Schumer. He handles all New York. <laughs> Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Do you view this season as a failure? Do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, provide the house for them, or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championships. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. You don't always win. Simple as that. We're going to come back next year, try to be better, try to build good habits, you know, and hopefully we can win a championship. That's the most interesting post-game comments that I can remember by just a, a deep-thinking, fantastic player who just got upset. They were the number one seed, just got upset by the Heat, and he's playing hurt, and that was his perspective. Do you think it's spin for him? I think it's his perspective. Do you think so, Will? I love everything he had to say. That's Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is the stud for the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's be clear, it was a failure. When you're a number one seed and you lose to an eight yes. seed, that is a failure. But that clip was slightly edited, and for me, it edited out the most interesting parts. What I loved about what he had to say is he was just 100% authentic. He was not – I don't think he was making excuses for himself. He was just being real, and he was mad at that reporter for asking him that question. And he said, I'm sorry, and he kind of double takes, and he goes, I don't – I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make this personal, but I'm upset. And I just don't know. I love the way he owned it. I love the way he owned it. I'm mad, but I'm trying to be good. Uh, and I'm I, polite, and I don't want to make it personal. But then in the, at the same time, he's sharing, I think, good life wisdom. But I don't know that it applies to losing to the eight seed. It could also reveal a little bit of a lack of the killer instinct you want to see in an athlete. I'm not saying that is him per se, but you were the one seed playing against an eight seed. You got... Jimmy Buckets, you know, came back with some miracle performances to beat you. I, I like the I like the perspective. I like a thoughtful guy. I really appreciate that. But there is right. there's maybe that maybe is the wrong moment to make that case when you're the superstar of the number one right. seed. And we're going to do this lost. on One Nation How, tonight. But I want you you don't need to be uh, no basketball. That that no. Answer. I was just going to say that answer. I'm going to actually record it and keep it on my phone. It's great advice for any child. I mean, and it's just great life advice, as you said. Um, I thought that is exactly right, and it's it. We all have those moments where we feel like this last thing that happened really sucks, and we got to pick ourselves back up again. And that, and 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 the way you do it is, I love that he didn't just say, "Just pick yourself back up." He was like, "No, you got to learn from it. You got to figure out what you did wrong. You got to do better." And that's how that's how we live life. Uh, but I want to say this: with that attitude, any kid would try. Yeah. Everyone, one of the main reasons, and I was definitely like this growing up, I don't think I tried a lot of things because I did not want to be bad at it. Mm. If you have that attitude, you will try everything really good because point. you're not afraid of failing. Well, and that's where this guy's background comes in. I think it's worth pointing out. That guy is speaking his third language. Like, he is spinning <laughs> that kind of wisdom in his third language. Where is he from? He grew up in Greece. His family was immigrants from Africa into Greece. They sold watches and purses on the side of the street, like mm-hmm. you see here in New York, in yeah. Athens. And he came from that poverty to America to be this basketball stud. He's won the MVP, and he supported right. almost every member hey, of his family with these weapons. It's amazing, right? Wow. So he's got a perspective. Uh, his brother's wow. on the bench with the team, Respect, too. Man. But I want you to hear what Shaq said. Listen. <laughs> 
When I didn't win, I was very hard on myself. So when you're the great player and they expect you to win and you don't win, in my mind, it is a failure. I played 19 seasons and I failed 15 seasons. When I didn't win, it was a failure, especially when I made it to the finals versus the Rockets and lost, made it to the finals for the fourth time with the Lakers and lost. It was definitely a failure. I can't tell everybody how to think, but when I watch guys before me, the Birds, the, the Kareems, and, you know, the, that's how they thought, so that's how I was raised. So he's not a failure as a player, but is it a failure as a season? I would say yes, but also like his explanation, I can understand and respect his explanation, but for me, when we didn't win, it was always my fault, and it was definitely a failure. So I relate a lot more to Shaq's perspective than I do Giannis's. You're a... Winner! Well, no, I mean, I, I, I think it's a killer instinct view. Yeah. It's it's more of a millennial Gen Z view of, of like, you know, we're out. It's kind of the, the bro NBA where we're all friends and we're all doing our thing and we're coming together with it. Whereas like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Chuck, Charles Barkley and... I mean, right. they didn't like each other, and they went at it to win all Rachel, in every time. And Rachel, just I want you to weigh in before we go because we're having a hard break. Final thought? Are you more like Pete or are you more like Giannis? So I want Pete on the battlefield for sure. But, <laughs> but I like this guy for like I, – I think there's too many kids who don't want to try things because they think right. they're well, not going to fail. And I don't so. think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think Shaq and Giannis have that much disagreement, to be honest. I think Giannis is just looking for a way to turn failure into success. Right. Uh, Jim Brown, I did a show with him for four years. He has your attitude. You know, total success. If uh, they tell you to take one more step and you say you're exhausted, take one more step to save your life, would you do it? Yes. Then that means you have more to give. Mm-hmm. Find a way to win. You, so, Coach uh, Kilmeade, I like it. I know. But <laughs> I, I'm, more, I'm more with Rachel on this. Uh, thanks <laughs> so much for listening, guys. Again. We'll see you <laughs> the weekend, <laughs> 6 to 10, Saturday, Sunday. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Hey, we're going to have Senator, uh, excuse me, uh, yes, Senator Rick Scott on, the former governor of Florida. He's going to be in studio. Senator Joni Ernst is here, too. If you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize the senator from, uh, from Iowa. And Daryl Johnson will be with us, the Cowboy legend, now president of the USFL. Also want to get his take on the big draft last night that used to take place in New York City, but now it's rotated around the country. I cannot believe how much interest there is in it. But right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Unlike the Title 42 Public Health Authority, the penalty for being removed from the United States under Title VIII through expedited removal and other immigration laws we will be enforcing is not just removal. All right, here we go. Title 42 morphs into Title VIII. I'll ask Senator Ernst about this. We'll explain what it means for those who want to come here illegally and why I just don't believe this is going to work in three weeks to figure it out. Number two. He's putting our economy in jeopardy. And he's saying these outrageous things. He says our bills will, um, like, melt children's bones. McCarthy proves Biden wrong and passes his plan for cutting cutting spending in order to raise the deficit. The pressure is now on the White House to grind out a deal. This is a a time in which the country only believes at the cost of 35 percent that the American economy is good. The rest are not convinced. Number one. It is entirely normal for a president to be briefed on reporters who will be asking questions at a press conference and issues that we expect they might ask about. 
That is uh, KGP talking about Joe's new low, a rigged presser discovered as an implausible explanation for his note cards, knowing the exact question asked by an L.A. Times reporter before it's asked. His approval ratings at 37 percent. Trump soars amongst his flock. Will it get him the nomination as end? The bigger question is Joe Manchin met his match. And we'll start there uh, with politics with uh, Senator Joni Ernst. Senator, great to see you. Hey, it's great to be here, Brian. First off, your thoughts about Governor Jim Justice is going to become a candidate for Senate. Hey, I am so excited about Jim Justice. And he is uh, beloved in West Virginia. And I think he has an exceptional opportunity to advance into the United States. I mean, for the most part, I always look at John Tester in Montana. It makes no sense he keeps winning, but he does, Democrat. He pretends to be a moderate, never votes that way. And then you have Joe Manchin, who does vote once in a while uh, away from the Democrats. I'll give you an example. They were looking to add two states to the union. They were looking to get rid of the filibuster. Joe Manchin put a stop to that. Absolutely. But you have a state in West Virginia that's... That Trump took by, what, 30 points? Oh, yes. Uh, West Virginia is so deep red. And I think that they finally do want to see a Republican in that seat in the Senate. And and Jim Justice, again, is someone that is beloved by West Virginians. Uh, he's performed very well as a governor. And I think he has an excellent opportunity at taking out Joe Manchin. So I talked, to, yeah, I talked to him last night. And here's what he said about the president of the United States and part of the reason why he wants to get involved. He's a big Trump guy, too. Cut 11. Let's just stop just one second and talk just one second about President Biden and what's going on in that administration. I mean, could there possibly be anybody that has reason and logic about him that could say, we're going in the right path? I mean, you got a man, and I hate to say this because I am sad for him. If he were my dad, there's no way on earth that I could have him continue on as being our president. There's no way. Absolutely anybody that's shaking hands to air has got a real issue. It's part of the reason why he wants to get involved. And he, because if you don't have power in the Senate, uh, there's no check should he get four more years. Is that the buzz in Washington? Well, the buzz in Washington one is is we have a tremendous opportunity to take the Senate back, and and that path leads through West Virginia, and that is Jim Justice. Um, if we look at what's going on in the White House, we certainly know we have to have a Republican in the White House. It cannot be another President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. This administration has been an absolute disaster, whether it's on the economy, the southern border, whether it's foreign policy, uh, the decline of America in the world's eyes. It all centers around Joe Biden in the White House because he is not physically or mentally capable of running this country. When did you realize that? I think it has been a while now. Um, I I see the way he delivers remarks. I hear comments through the television. The thing is, he is so isolated from members of Congress. In the Trump administration, I was down with President Trump all the time at the White House. Many members of Congress were talking over policy and decisions and ideas. And you don't see that level of interaction because the staff at the White House can't control the discussions if members of Congress are in 
the room. Um, so I, it's very disheartening now. We don't have the level of engagement. I often wonder if this is why uh, we don't see Joe Biden engaging Kevin McCarthy in debt limit discussions is because maybe the president can't engage in a discussion on the debt ceiling. So the president of the United States said, according to the Wall Street Journal story today, that the reason why he's running is that he said that uh, the other rumor was from Axios that he doesn't think Kamala Harris is ready. Said if she was ready, he wouldn't run. Number two, he thinks he's the only one to beat President Trump. And he said that if Trump wins again, he'll uh, hate himself for not running. And number one, he wants to keep forward with his green agenda. Does that sound like what you've been hearing? Oh, my goodness. Well, we know that he is uh, focused on a green agenda. We know that for certain. And I'm not sure who's promoting these ideas. We saw Secretary Granholm in our Armed Services Committee the other day, and they are Fruit Loops over all of this green uh, agenda. What do they talk about? Um, that's what they talk about. And it's uh, promoting things like uh, an entirely electric, non-tactical vehicle fleet in the Department of Defense by the year 2030. What is wrong with this administration? Um, we should be focusing on the lethality of our military, not focusing on this climate agenda that has skewed our nation so far to the left. Uh, we are not operating in the best interests of America if we are seeing another Joe Biden presidency uh, in the next election. Right. It's going to be interesting to see. Now, I don't have to tell you the polls, by the way, in Jim Justice's case, I have never seen anything like it. Sixty six percent approval rating. Sixty six percent. I haven't seen 60 percent on any politician in the country, even though he'll be, I think, 72 uh, he says, I'm not going to take a dime. I'm going to go in and I'm, I'm there to serve. He's basically a billionaire. It's worth $700 million. Uh, and he got two coal mines from his dad. That's a big start. Got it. But what he became was all him. Right. And and he is really a go-getter. Um, I enjoy just even listening to him speak and how he really embodies West Virginia to the fullest. He's right. there for the workers, and, and he knows about energy. So right now, also in the polls, Donald Trump is doing exceedingly well. He's lengthening his lead. The only person really in double figures consistently is Ron DeSantis. Uh, your thoughts about Donald Trump after January 6th and the, the two more indictments that could be coming down the pike. If I told Senator Joni Ernst that he'd be running away with the primary field, what would you have said to me? Well, it does not surprise me. Um, he does have a very strong Republican base. But I've heard others say it. I'll, I'll say it, too. We need to look to the future. So instead of focusing on the past, all of our candidates, Donald Trump or any of the other candidates, they need to focus on what is it that they are going to bring to the United States in the upcoming years. You know, the past is the past. We have seen that. So what is it that the candidate is bringing? Optimism for the future. Let's focus on the good and the great that's here in our nation, not about about evil Democrats, whatever that is. Let's focus on the good of our nation and moving the nation forward. And everybody wants your endorsement. Iowa's the first caucus. Can you give me a sense, unofficial, just your anecdotal offense of who's making the most progress on the ground? Who who is seen the most? I know that uh, Nikki Haley went right there. Vivek Ramaswamy's been there a lot. Yes, absolutely. Hence. So they they have all been into Iowa. And Nikki Haley has done a number of events across the state of Iowa. A potential candidate, Tim Scott, has been there a lot over the course of the last two years. I think he's getting in. Years. He's got the exploratory I, committee. I think so as well. Uh, we have seen Ron DeSantis doing rallies. I've heard rumors uh, that he will be doing a 99-county tour in Iowa, which is a big deal. 
Hill. Uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy has been in a lot. Uh, I do have my roast and ride, my annual roast and ride that's coming up June 3rd. Uh-huh. And uh, we have invited all of our presidential hopefuls, and we have a number of those that will be attending. How do you feel about the Democrats saying the heck with Iowa, the heck with New Hampshire, starting in South Carolina. Uh, yeah, the the Democrats really messed that one up. Uh, they gave the middle finger to middle America. Now we don't have representation in that decision-making process. They've gone to the coastal elites. And Iowa Democrats, they are now regretting that they let this go so easy. Um, so Iowa is a very inexpensive state to run campaigns in. You can get out so that people are well-educated in uh, the political arena. But the, it's and a, a bad Demo- mistake. And by the way, why would you give up on Iowa if you're a Democrat? It, it's not a deep red state, correct? Well, it's it's a red state by representation, but we pride ourselves on being very independent. And if you look at when I first came into the Senate, uh, elected in 2014, it was Half blue representation and half red representation. A very purple state opportunity for a swing state. Um, but uh, the Democrats have left us behind. And that that does make a decision for a lot of people to focus more on Republicans. OK, let's uh, fast forward to your meeting with the Taiwan pre- Taiwanese president. Yes. Um, so we had a very good meeting here in New York City a number of weeks ago as she was making her swing through the United States. And in attendance, it was a bipartisan group. So Senators Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Mark Kelly of Arizona, and I sat down with the president and we discussed with her uh, opportunities to engage and be supportive of Taiwan just generally, but uh, more specifically in the case of a Chinese threat to the island nation of Taiwan. What did she say to you that surprised you? She asked for more training, which was not surprising. In their country? Um, in their country. You got about a handful um, of Marines So there, right? we do. We have a, a number of different military personnel that are on the island uh, working with their military. We did speak about their reserve structure as well, and that's something that I get concerned about, making sure that they are trained on the latest and greatest equipment that the, the United States and other countries may be able to field um, right. with Taiwan. Uh, so there's a lot of issues. But again, we're coming up with courses of action for the island of Taiwan. Right. And would they've ordered this equipment and it's not come? They paid the, they, they paid have, the not asking and, for donations? And no, they are going through military sales. They have paid for equipment that is not yet delivered and is maybe perhaps years away from being delivered. And this is where we really need to prioritize delivery of weapon systems and making sure that, one, they've already paid for it. They're getting it now. Let's bump them to the front of the line and make sure that we are delivering on munitions and equipment to the nation and make sure that uh, their soldiers are properly trained on that equipment. Let's make sure that China feels the pressure coming back. When's the last time you were in Ukraine? Um, it actually was 2019. I have not been into the country since the war started. Uh, I have, not I have it. been to Finland. Yeah. I have been to Poland and Germany. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be much different. It would be my intent to travel to Ukraine in the next year or so. Uh, what is, uh, the, what do you think the state of America weapons into Ukraine? Are you concerned about our own supplies while we supply Ukrainians? 
First, I'm going to make it very clear that I am a big supporter of our uh, support of the Ukrainian military. I think it's extremely important. Folks, this affects our everyday lives. Um, But that being said, I am concerned about our own munition supply as well. And we haven't focused on our military defense industrial base for a very long time. And that's where we see an opportunity to really build and develop, making sure that these contractors have multi-year procurements so that they have certainty through, yes, many administrations. And there's got to be a contract that says do not cancel. Exactly. Because don't get, you know, don't, you know, don't flip parties and then screw me. Right. So example the 155 howitzer rounds, which are being expended in Ukraine and we use um, with our own howitzers, is uh, is being depleted. That is manufactured in Iowa. They they do that at the Iowa Army Ammunition Plant. And? So there is now money allocated to develop another line in Iowa at that ammunition plant. But we've had to move some of those operations into other plants to make sure we're keeping up with the demand. But it just shows we should have done this a long time ago right. and kept it up. But again, we have had an administration, and it's not just the Biden administration, multiple administrations mm. that have not focused on our military. Right, and be able to qu- quickly change. I never remember Iraq and Afghanistan people saying, we're running out of tanks. I remember we had to get those uh, those Humvees uh, armored, and then we came up with the the other one. I forgot the name of it with the triangle shape at the bottom. Right, right. Yeah, but, uh, what are they called? But we left them in Afghanistan. Yeah, we have strikers. We have MRAPs. Yeah. We have MRAPs. Uh, yeah, we, we have, came up with the MRAP in yeah. the middle of the war. But and, I never knew we were out. Now all of a sudden, this this is new to me. Yes. We're out of stuff. So this is a very different fight as we see uh, Ukraine and Russia. And Russia has a lot of tanks. They have a lot of equipment. I'm going to say it's crap, um, but they have a lot of equipment. So it is being expended. But that being said, the Ukrainians' equipment is being expended as well. And this is where we need to step up our game and put pressure on those European nations as well. Our partners and allies need to do uh, as much as well. So we are the arsenal. We are the arsenal of freedom here in the United States. We can develop equipment uh, if we're focused on it. What I am saying is that the billions and billions of dollars in what? Humanitarian aid? The United States doesn't need to do that. That can be done by the European partners that maybe don't have the defense industrial base that America does. Let them step up and provide that type of assistance to Ukraine. Gotcha. Uh, Senator Jordan Ernst, great to see you in New York City. Great to see you too, What a radical Brian. lifestyle change it is. Wow. You see New York from Iowa. I'm going back to Iowa tonight. Thank God. <laughs> Where it's safe. And then wherever the world's going to be going there, I'm sure we'll be there for the caucuses. Great to see you. Great to see you too. All right. We come back, one 408 And then we welcome in Daryl Johnson, then Senator Rick Scott. Busy day. So glad you're here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The United Kingdom and the United States military has been training the Ukrainians for weeks on how to do this combat arms mission uh, that's going to take place here and certainly training them on the vehicles that they have as well. They put together some 9 to 12 combined arms brigades. That's mechanized infantry, 
with tank and armor vehicles. They'll be supported by artillery and on occasion overhead attack helicopters and overhead fighter aircraft at times. This is combined arms warfare. It's high-end conventional war. And that is what we'll see unfolding here when Ukraine is ready to pull that trigger. They have waited until they've been able to get mm-hmm. the equipment and get the training done. That is uh, the great General Jack Keane, four-star general, uh, Institute of Study of Wars, his creation, talking about the spring offensive from Ukraine. Everything's on the line here. I don't care about politics, but is Joe Biden, if this goes awry, it's he should just hang it up forever, which he should have done already. But if they can get this offensive going and push the Russians back, they have 18% of the country, then you can get to a peace. But not at 18%. The Ukrainians know how to fight. They got the better equipment. The Russians are dispirited and beat down. Guys, go win. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. And there you go. Uh, the first round pick uh, overall, Bryce Young of Alabama. I did not know this, but the first Alabama player picked in the first overall since Joe Namath. Daryl Johnson, former NFL fullback, outstanding player with three Super Bowl rings with the Dallas Cowboys, also played with the Eagles. Now is the USFL executive vice president of football. Daryl, welcome back. How you doing, Brian? Daryl, I mean, you've got to be for Fox as we're your broadcast. You got to be all over this. Were you interested as a spectator last night of what was happening? I always am. I always am. I think it's uh, it's always intriguing to see because the first round is is very very different um, in how teams approach it. Uh, there's guys out there that have come through everything, and, and there's measurables on guys, and and it's it's really fun to watch how they take the dynamics and and just really kind of go into Bryce Young. We, we've so gotten over that height thing for the quarterback, right? He used to be the huge measurable. You know, you didn't touch a guy that was under six foot. And when, when Drew Brees came in, that was that was one of the big things for him was was the height. And, you know, Doug Flutie. I mean, look at all the great quarterbacks that didn't fit that measurable, that had all, all those other intangibles and, and strengths to their game that maybe didn't show up uh, is, is readily apparent. And and now we're just we're beyond that. And what, you know, Kyler Murray, uh, Jalen Hurd it's done you know there's a lot of guys out there that are kind of breaking that mold and, and that allows you to go with a guy like Bryce Young who's 5'10 and a half 5'11 205 and have him be the number one overall pick in the draft at the quarterback spot you know it's just so interesting because and, and they did get such a look at him uh everyone's talking about Will Levis uh, of Kentucky who had one great year and then one year he was banged up and but he's such a uh, he's got so many tools, and we watched the Manning's got that special on ESPN where they had a chance to put him through the paces at their quarterback camp, known him for a while. Everybody thought this guy was going high. He still hasn't picked yet. Yeah, it seems like we have that guy every year, uh, and a lot of times it ends up being the quarterback. Um, and some of these guys drop and then go on and do great things. Um, so. You know, I mean, obviously the biggest one is Tom Brady, and we all talk about him sliding all the way to to pick 199 and then goes on to become what many consider to be the greatest of all time uh, when you talk about the quarterback position. So there's a number of other guys, Um, you know, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, you know, a lot of questions about him, you know, coming out, uh, you know, as a quarterback and what that transition is going to be, and he slides into the second round. And, you know, there's so many things there that that you have to take into consideration, and I think for Jalen Hurts the big one is, 
you know, the number of games he played in college. He started 42 games, played at two big schools. And then when you get to know him, he's just, he's driven. He, his dad's a coach, and that's always a big thing. There's a lot of really good quarterbacks who grew up in that football environment because their father was a coach, uh, and, and he fits that mold. So I, I think with Will Levis, if, if there's, there's something there that's got some red flags up for people. Uh, I think if you were to probably look at the supporting cast at the University of Kentucky, it wasn't all that great last Never year. Is, yeah. So there was going to be some struggles. Uh, but I think the big thing that we're hearing now is, is there something to do with the toe that, that might be something? And listen, if, if the guy's a talent and, and he can play, I'll fix the toe. I'll, I'll get the toe fixed <laughs> and then we'll get, we'll get Will on the roster. Right. C.J. Stroud, number two to Texas. What do you think? Uh, I, I thought the interesting thing was just going back to back at two and three. Um, you know, there was a lot of rumors that Tennessee was going to move up from 11 into that number three spot. And, and when you had the trade alert going, you're, you're waiting for, you know, Tennessee to kind of jump up in there. And all of a sudden here comes the Houston Texans back to back. So uh, I think the biggest thing for CJ Stroud is, you know, there's that stigma of the Ohio state quarterback, you know, who is the guy that is going to break that string? It, it's been a while since they've really had a guy that's been taken high at that quarterback position out of Ohio state and have him walk in and just be an instant contributing starter that, that really elevates that franchise. And uh, you know, it's another opportunity here for CJ Stroud to kind of get that ship right. I'm just wondering what you thought, just uh, Daryl Johnston who thought when you see Anthony Richardson, if you were to start a team, uh, he did not have a great record in college did not have great tools, but I mean, did not have a lot of weapons behind him. But people just talk about his potential. Do you see that? I, I just worry at the quarterback position. You know, the biggest thing is Colts drafted. It, it goes, yes, exactly. And and was actually you know Chris Ballard is one of my favorite GMs in the NFL. And 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 this is even a little bit out of the box in my opinion for Chris Ballard. Um, you know, uh, so is it, is, is it uh, you know driven by by the head coach? Um, so, you know, the big thing here is what, what do you need to be able to win at the quarterback position, to, you know, to be that guy and it's accuracy and, and to look at, you know, Anthony's yeah. completion percentage at the university of Florida, is he a tremendous athlete? Absolutely. But what are we hearing about Lamar Jackson and, and the whole issue about him getting that contract that he signed, you know, yesterday prior to the draft, it's the health and the availability at the end of the season where the games are most important. And if Anthony Richardson comes in for Indianapolis and he's playing outstanding from September to November, but starts to break down in December and January, that, that's when you have to have your quarterback at his healthiest in the lineup playing his best. And I just think it's really, really hard for the, the dual threat quarterback yeah. in, in the NFL today to be at his best at the end of the at the end of the regular season and going into the playoffs because you've asked so much of him during the course of the year. Yeah, so Lamar Jackson said a five-year deal. He stays in Baltimore. And you know, Kyler Murray might be another example. You're talking about Daryl as a guy with great tools, but he's never there every week. Uh, he never completes a season, it seems. Uh, and he's a guy also uh, maybe a bit undersized with tremendous talent. Um, so lastly, I just want to ask you about Aaron Rodgers. In New York, they tend to blow things up. And he came out and said, I think we can go to the Super Bowl. Everybody else is saying it. Is there enough talent on the Jet roster to add Rodgers if he's above average, like he, let's say above, not MVP, just above average to go to the Super Bowl? We had the Jets twice late last season, and uh, it, it, it was, it was ugly, obvious. Yeah, it, and, and, it's, and it's really, if you watch, if you look at that offensive line, if you look at what 
Jeff Albrook and Robert Sala have done on the defensive side of the ball, you know, coming from San Francisco, building that same style of defense. Um, they had the offensive and defensive rookie of the years last year, uh, you know, for that team. Um, this is a team that has a tremendous amount of talent. And, and one of the, the things that I always had a hard time with is the, the term windows, you know, windows in the NFL, you get a roster together, you've got a culture and a chemistry to, to go chase a championship. How long can we make that last three years, five years? Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden you kind of transition out and you got to restock the shelves. Um, the jets are poised in a lot of areas to have that window. And, and what was missing is the quarterback position. And they tried to adjust it through the draft a couple of years ago. It didn't work out. Um, it was obvious that they needed to do something there. And, and I, I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to ever just play above average. I think with the supporting cast that he has around him, uh, we're, we're going to see a very good Aaron Rodgers next year. And, and that is scary. Now, the great thing is, gosh, for years, the AFC East was just – it was non-competitive. It was the New England Patriots. And the Jets and the Bills and the Dolphins were all struggling. Well, guess what? You know, the Jets are going to be a lot better. The Bills have become one of the best teams in the NFL, and the Dolphins are on the upswing as well. So right. uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching the AFC East, and I think the Jets are right back in the thick of it. And, and there was a lot of that talk last year when they got out to that great start. The USFL Week 3, uh, that's where you are now, uh, focusing. New Orleans plays at Birmingham in Birmingham. Memphis uh, showboats, they're back, uh, relocated from Tampa to Houston Gamblers. There will be in Memphis. Pittsburgh plays Philadelphia in Canton, Ohio. And New Jersey at Michigan over in Detroit. Uh, how are things shaping up in Week Three? Uh, they're shaping up good. It's, it's going to be our. It's a, it's a unique weekend for us because this is the first time we'll have games going on in three of our four hubs. Uh, so that that's going to be something interesting. We've got Intra Hub in Memphis, as you pointed out, with the Gamblers and the Showboats playing. We've got Intra Hub here in Birmingham, uh, which, which we're really excited for. Uh, you know, at two and zero. Uh, New Orleans Breakers versus the 2-0 defending champion, Birmingham Stallions, uh, 11.30 on Saturday. Um, it's going to be a fantastic game. And, and it's funny, Brian, you know, last year we had all eight teams here. And we would do pregame meal. And the guys who were going to play the game ate the pregame meal together. And we were in, the, in a, in a closed-in area. And there, there were no issues. We started making changes and precautionary <laughs> setups on, on Monday afternoon, because New Orleans and Birmingham just do not like each other. And so we have to do the pregame meal at the same time, and we're trying to make sure we can keep them as far apart as we possibly can in this same area. And uh, it, it's just been fun to watch these rivalries start to grow as we've mm. broken out of that, that single hub model and gotten into our four hubs. And, and no better example than, than everything on the line here with an early showdown uh, in the South Division uh, with t the two undefeated teams. Yeah, uh, check it out. Uh, Daryl, is there one site to go to so we can find out where to find the games? Uh, USFL.com. Great. Uh, you can find out where to get it in your local area and what, what's going nationally. NBC and Fox doing an incredible job. You got, you, you got your great broadcasters, too. Uh, really bring the game to light. And the access that you get on the sidelines with the coaches, uh, with the, with the uh, coordinators, is to me awesome. Not for you because you lived it. That's your life. But for a soccer player to get inside the coaching, <laughs> inside those headsets, is unbelievable. And, Daryl, you're doing a great job. Daryl Johnson, thanks so much. You got it, Brian. Thanks for everything. You got it. Uh, listen, when we come back, Senator Rick Scott in studio. He's with the Homeland Security Armed Services. And we're also talking 2024. So glad you're here. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't think the suit has merit. I think it's political. I think they filed, you know, in Tallahassee for a reason because they're trying to, to generate some district court decision. But we're very confident on the law. The days of putting one company on a pedestal with no accountability are over in the state of Florida. And I will say a lot of Floridians were upset, particularly parents, uh, that they really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. We don't think that that's appropriate in Florida, and that spans partisan, it spans everything. Parents, they want kids to be kids, and they want to focus on the basis of academics. That is Governor Ron DeSantis. He was over in Israel. He's in South Korea. He's going to be coming back. Uh, obviously, he's getting an exploratory committee is about a week away. He looks like he's running for president. Senator Rick Scott is here. Senator, you were governor for eight years. Um, how do you feel about this brawl with Disney as Disney tries to sue Ron DeSantis and a few others saying they've been targeted, but they did weigh in on the legislation, mislabeled it to don't say gay bill about just not teaching kids before third grade about sex. Uh, your reaction to all I this? It, I think it's pretty basic. I don't think any parent thinks schools, uh, great schools ought to teach their kids about sex. So I think, I think the bill was a good bill. I, I was surprised Disney weighed in, weighed in. It was wrong. I hope, I hope this, um, Cooler, cooler heads are going to prevail, and we get past this. Governor Sununu is someone said, uh, I'm on the side of Disney. Leave corporate America alone. Conservatives shouldn't be doing this. Governor Christie, the same thing. Are you, you know all the players. You know Bob Iger. You know, you know Ron DeSantis used to have that job. What do you think? I, I, think, I think people have got to figure out how to come together and start working together. I mean, we've got we to gotta get cooler that, heads. Uh, were you that. comfortable with that autonomous zone? Um, that, well, that greedy creek autonomous zone where they may have their own police fire department. I think I think as as long as they're doing their job, we've got you know, we've got a variety of special taxing districts in Florida, and so they're they're set up they're set up to ba- basically create development in Florida. We we've got a variety of them, and so I think you now you always have to go look at it, make sure. And I did I did that when I first got elected as governor back in uh, twenty ten, starting twenty eleven. We did a review of of our special taxing districts to make sure they were doing the right things. And, we, and I was cautious about ever expanding them. But So I, I think you always have to look at them. Kim McCarthy did a good thing. He took a very tough caucus and got them to agree on what it would take to raise the debt ceiling, and that is cutting spending. You feel as though um, you played an important role in that, getting people to talk. Well, you know, look, you have to really admire what the Freedom Caucus did, what Kevin McCarthy did, and House Republicans did. Because what they did is they said, we're going to cut it, cut spending – we're going to we're going to focus we're going to create structural change to balance the budget and we're going to get people back to work. What I was glad is they put it I had a bill called let's get to work and it says if you're able bodied get get back to work you shouldn't be on government programs unless you have young kids or elderly parents and that that's in there. So I worked with the uh, the Freedom Caucus uh, and but you know look the Freedom Caucus Kevin McCarthy House Republicans that's who did it. Now we've got to do everything we can Senate Republicans have got to do everything we can to support them. Biden has to start showing up um, Chuck Schumer uh, has to start saying we're, we're they don't want to deal on the debt ceiling. You know that. <laughs> well, they, they say we'll talk about the budget, but we're not going to talk about the debt ceiling. What's what's going to break? Well, the, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. You have to lead. It's his responsibility to come up with a responsible debt ceiling. That means we've got to balance a budget. Here, Brian, here's the numbers. Our population since 2019 pre-COVID is up 1.8 percent. You know what Biden's budget's up since then? 55 percent. 
55%. We got $31.5 trillion worth of debt. This won't last. Look at all the inflation, gas prices, food prices. I mean, look at look at interest rates where they are. Interest rates on a credit card are now over 20%. Who's it hurting? You the want to get back families. to 2022 spending, and they also talk about what about Joe Manchin brought up 2019 spending. I think we, like, we need we got what we have to do is balance the budget. You do it. We all do it. We say this is our revenues. Yeah, but no, that nobody wants to cut any program. You know, the president of the United States, the former president and current president, say we're not touching entitlements. How do you do a budget if you don't touch entitlements? Because politically, it's so tough. You, you can, first off, you can balance the budget, okay, and make sure you preserve all the benefits of Social Security and all the benefits of Medicare. You can do it. All right. When I was governor, for well, you I have walked, to do it. They're about to go belly up. Right. Don't you? If you care about recipients, then you figure out how to make sure those programs, that all the benefits of those programs prevail. I balanced the budget in Florida. Florida's budget had not been balanced for about one year and 40 years when I became governor. Right. All right. You can do it. You do it every day. We all do it. But, Governor, you know how it happened to you. Senator, excuse me. It happened to you. You came out and said we got to attack entitlements, and they said you don't like old people, and they they labeled you something that it's not accurate in description, but you did say we have to tackle entitlements, and we should be looking at this every year. And they and they mislabeled you, but they did. Here's what I actually said. I said my plan, you can go to rescueamerica.com. I said we've got to tell the public how we're going to preserve Medicare and Social Security, and then all the wasteful programs, we ought to be reviewing them. I've always believed you can preserve and you should preserve Social Security and Medicare. Now, with Medicare, there are ways to create a better delivery system yeah. to keep all the benefits. That's what we should do. But, but we're not dealing with reality. We're dealing with politics. That's the problem. So there's got to be almost a blue ribbon committee to make the decisions that are necessary that both sides would be in not responsible yet responsible for. Why don't we just have elected officials do their job? I, you're talking balance to the wrong the guy, budget. though. I know. I, mean, I balance the budget. I Look – they hadn't balanced the budget in Florida, and they, they didn't want to balance the budget. They wanted to borrow more money. I said, we're not going to do it. Right. We've, got, we've got to elect a president and elect senators and House members to say, I am going to make the tough choices. Up in D.C., I've been there four years. It's everybody gets everything. Right. And that's why we have the debt we have and the inflation we have. A uh, couple of things. There's no doubt about it. Wherever you look, China's challenging us. And one of the things that you talk about with green technology, they have 70% of the world's batteries. If we'll get yet, we're going to go all electric. And when it comes to solar panels, they basically wired the market. What have you done when it comes to Chinese solar panels made basically by the Uyghurs who are enslaved? Well, first off, since I've been up there, we've outlawed it. We're not going to, we're not going to import those. But, but the, the Biden, but guess here's what China did. They started sending them to other countries in Southeast Asia so they could say, oh, they weren't made, they weren't made in China. So the Biden Commerce Department said this is what's happening and these are the companies doing it. So Biden gave them a two-year waiver. Now, why? There's something, there's something going on between Biden and China, right? Because he, he's too soft on China. So, the, uh, so we have a Congressional Review Act, which we'll vote on next week, and I think it's going to pass, that says it's going to be bipartisan, both the House and Senate, that says that we're going to not allow these companies to send these Chinese products made with slave labor down to you know, a country in Southeast Asia like Vietnam and then send it to here. Right, and they're also doing something like that in Mexico, too, with different products yep. because they're trying to take advantage of the USMCA discounts. I hope we wise up. Senator, stay all, Senator, stay all over this. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, great to see you, sir. Nice seeing you. All Have right. a great stay day. Stay out of trouble Love in New York. <laughs> From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. 
you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Shannon Bream is standing by. She asked me to buy some time, so I'm doing that. I don't know if she's getting ready or if she's nervous. Admiral James Jarvidis does never, never gets nervous. Bots and plans and keep America safe. Uh, the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO will be with us this hour. That's going to be great. But right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Unlike the Title 42 Public Health Authority, the penalty for being removed from the United States under Title VIII through expedited removal and other immigration laws we will be enforcing is not just removal. Wow. Uh, That is uh, something we have to look at. Title 42 is weeks away, and we have Title VIII queued up. On paper, it might be effective. My sense is it won't be. We're supposed to have hubs where people can report in Colombia and Guatemala. No one's seen any hubs. Can you get that going in two weeks, guys? Number two. He's putting our economy in jeopardy. And he's saying these outrageous things. He says our bills will, um, like, melt children's bones. Melt children's bones. McCarthy proves Biden wrong and passes his plan for raising the debt ceiling in exchange for cuts. The pressure is now in the White House, but they don't want to do a deal. Hey, Mr. President, you do not have a choice. Number one. It is entirely normal for a president to be briefed on reporters who will be asking questions at a press conference and issues that we expect they might ask about. That is KJP. Uh, talking about Joe hitting a new low, we find out it's a rigged presser. The press not only would get the premise of a question, they gave the actual question to the president who had the answer in front of him. Unbelievable. Shannon Bream joins us right now. She does not need any questions and answers ahead of time. Uh, yeah, she calls and she's on my voicemail. Brian, tell me what we're going to talk about. Tell me specifically, but I avoid that because I want to be off the cuff, Shannon Bream. And you I are the... And yeah, the, I think that's the way to go. It's just a more natural, organic conversation, as the kids would say. The love stories of the Bible speak, biblical lessons of romance, friendship, and faith, still out there, still doing very well. But, Shannon, I was uh, shocked at this. I didn't see a worthy explanation the day after the press conference that he rarely gives for not only the question but the answer. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is a I mean, the details are out there. The numbers are out there. The data is out there that this is a president who avoids the press like the plague. I mean, yes, our fantastic Peter Ducey and Jackie Heinrich scream out questions and they try to get to him as much as they can. But it's not just them. They're, the press corps as a whole is saying this guy does not come and do press conferences with us. He doesn't talk to us. There's not a more formal exchange with the press. And we all see him at these um, events where they're saying, Mr. President, come this way. Don't take any questions. That's it. Let's go. And, you know, this is going to be a very different campaign than it was in 2020. I mean, if you're going to have to be out and about, COVID obviously made things very different. He's going to have to be out with people. He's going to have to take questions from press and just good old average Americans whose votes count and they have questions. I was thinking that Shannon Bream was right, but Shannon, I'm not convinced he's going to. I'm not convinced. I mean, I I am not convinced. It worked last time. Just staying home. Let me just do that. Yeah. So listen to uh, a, a podcast I don't listen to, but the guy's very smart, extremely popular. Uh, plus, he does a morning show, and so do I. Charlotte, Charlemagne the God just mm-hmm. looked at Joe Biden, sees what's going on here, and here's what he said. And by the way, he's a, he's a, a real leader in the black community. Cut six. Mm-hmm. America's in shambles. I don't give a what he said. The world is in shambles. Aren't you embarrassed to be a Democrat? America is in shambles. I'm not a Democrat. So, yeah, boy. 
Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. I'm not a Republican either. Yeah, boy. I'm nothing. I just. What about you, Chris? You like uh, you like Biden? You voting for Biden again? Uh, I think we could use a fresh new uh, person on the. That's seat. why it's whack that the DNC won't let nobody prime. They won't do no primaries next year, man. Do a f- primary debate. They put Joe Biden up on that stage with Bobby Kennedy, who's challenging him, and Marianne Williamson, and whoever steps up to the plate, and let's have a f- discussion, yo. And that's somebody obviously not worried about being politically correct, but he really echoes what a lot of people think. Yeah, and he's called out a lot of Democrats when he's had them on the show or he thinks that they're dodging or they've taken a position that he thinks is, you know, one he doesn't agree with. He'll go after Democrats. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And he does have a very strong voice. And, you know, there have been a lot of folks um, to say who were big, prominent voices within the African-American community were being taken for granted. And these leaders aren't listening to us. They're not engaging with us. They show up at election time. Um, But he's been very critical of top Democrats for doing that kind of thing, but not really listening and engaging and solving Mm -hmm. problems that are important to voters. Remember this exchange with Charlemagne the God and candidate Joe Biden. Cut seven. You got more questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see. Take a look at my record, man. See that—that's an example of what we're experiencing. You press him. Did not go over well. You you (laughs) press him, and he gets really angry. Well, we've seen that with all kinds of different – I mean, the guy that he was talking to about should you get tested for crack or cocaine or something, I can't remember that exchange exactly. But, yeah, when he gets pressed about things, he does say um, very defensive things in response. And that's the kind of thing that when you're on the campaign trail and you're out talking to people and having conversations, that's going to show up. And that's the kind of thing I would imagine that his folks say, that's not going to be a plus for us in running for president. We want to avoid those situations. So you may see less of him. I think you're right. He may feel like, listen, it worked for me in 2020. You have the enormous power of the incumbency, which is, I mean, as president especially, it's nearly impossible to overcome. And they just may think, best scenario, we keep him very tightly controlled. He does the debates. He you know, tries to uh, kill it there. Very best performance. Performance and do what he did in 2020. Uh, I, I want to hear a few things going on. Governor Jim Justice was on with me last night to say it's official he's going to run against Joe Manchin. I never remember a guy getting in the race already up 20 to a sitting senator, but he's up either 20 or more. He's got 66% approval. If anything looks like a guarantee to flip in politics, it is Jim Justice running against Joe Manchin. Here's Ju- Justice talking about that matchup. Cut 12. How in the world do you think we're perceived with our allies? I mean, look what happened in Afghanistan. Look what's going on at the border. Look what's going on with inflation. Look what's going on with energy. It's just all over the park. Well, we're going to have to do something about it. And we're going to have to elect somebody that has done it. And he's got a pick point to his track record. He doesn't want a dime, wants to help the country. Not as young as you would think, uh, but he's going to, Joe Manchin has to consider what he's going to do. Listen to what Mike Allen said about Joe Manchin. Mike Allen of Axios, Cut 13. What is Manchin's move? No one's sure. If he ran for president, it would be as an independent. For sure, he's talked about it, dreamed about it. That would be the key to uh, Republicans getting that seat. And they're talking about the no-label situation. How much buzz mm-hmm. is going on there, Shannon, in Washington about Manchin's next move? Well, listen, there's a lot of that, and he does not shoot it down. 
to be clear, when he has been asked in press, like, would you run for third party? Are you taking it off the table? He won't say no. So he's not saying that it's off the table. He wouldn't consider it as a third party guy. And if you'll note, it was either yesterday or the day before. We've got this soundbite of him saying, like, I'm going to win my race. I don't do races to lose. I'm going to win. But there was another statement where he said, I will run. I will win any race that I run. So that word any is getting a lot of attention. Now, whether it's just to drive, you know, Democrats crazy and keep himself in the headlines and you know, make sure that his negotiating power remains at top peak after feeling very burned on the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I don't know, but there is definitely a conversation here in D.C. about him running as a third-party contender, especially if you have an exact 2020 rematch between Biden mm-hmm. and Trump. Shannon, I'm going to really make you think. You ready? Okay. I mean, we know where Republicans and Democrats stand, but this is going to be very different, I think, on abortion and guns, because everyone's against mass shootings and looking to do it, and they feel as though it's mm-hmm. been effective. So, uh, a Fox News poll, best describes views on abortion, always legal, now 32%, mostly legal, 24%, mostly illegal, 36%, always illegal, 7%. So this is a tough issue. Mostly illegal mm-hmm. and always legal are the two highest marks. If you are a politician looking to be successful, beliefs aside, where do you go with this? Because they're going to zero weeks in some states, six weeks in others, mm-hmm. and fighting to keep it 15 or more or full term in other states. We're all over the map. Yeah, we are. And the, listen, the GOP contenders, too, in or soon to be or maybe getting in, are having a real struggle with this conversation because some of them are like, let's not do this. This hasn't been a winner for us. Let's not talk about it. But others are saying, no, if you look at the nuance of the polling, it actually can be a winning message for them if they can clearly articulate it. Because when you go by trimesters, once you get into second trimester, polling shows that a majority of Americans do not think abortion should be legal anymore. And that number is way higher when you get into third trimester. And I I think some people don't understand that there are numerous states and D.C. where you can literally have an abortion up until your due date. I mean, that's a fact. So Republicans have to decide whether they want to talk about that and say, listen, we haven't coalesced around our position, whether it's 15 weeks or six or 20, whatever it is. But just so you know, this is the Democrats position. And so people have been critical for them of, you know, going too far in one direction, but also about not being able to articulate where they are. And the candidates really are all over the place. Fox News poll proposals to reduce gun violence. 87% want background checks. And, uh, 81% enforce existing gun laws. All right. Uh, 81% legal age 21. Now, some Republicans are upset by that. Uh, if you look at the Duck Dynasty guys, they were shooting at nine, maybe mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, required because it is a cultural thing depending on where you grew up. Require yeah. medical health checks. 80%. That's interesting. Flag people danger to self. That's 80%. That's 8 of 10. Require a 30-day waiting period, basically 80%. Ban assault weapons, 61% are for that. More citizens carrying guns, 45%. Are the gun, is the gun, this is the bigger question. I don't have the answer. Is uh, the gun issue swaying more towards limits? Well, what I thought was interesting, too, first of all, I think the terminology and um, understanding all of those things in a more intimate way is very important when you look at the numbers. Because if you say assault weapon and you ask somebody to define it, that's where you run into trouble. Because, yes, it sounds like these are big, scary guns. And they may look scarier, but they function the same way. They're semi-automatic weapons that operate the same way a handgun does. So if you want to get rid of the potential lethality, it's not about the features of the gun or how big it is. Um, That's a different conversation. 
But what I thought was interesting in that polling as well is when you look at the numbers, would more gun control make us safer? That number has actually gone down. People don't actually think more laws are going to make us safer than they did, say, five years ago, which I thought was very interesting because, I mean, clearly every time there is a shooting, we're all disgusted and heartbroken and want something to get done. You talk about a lot of areas there where it sounds like there's a consensus, you know, 80 plus percent on certain things. Some of those things already exist, like nearly every gun sale. If it's a federal licensed dealer, they have to go through a background check. There, you know, there's, you can debate whether there's a gun show loophole. There's not in the sense that if you're buying from a dealer, you've got to go through a background check. So I just think people need more information about having these conversations and where they, you know, feel. But again, if you've got a growing number of people who think more laws actually won't make us more safe, then you've got to look at that number and enforcing what we have. Um, because that there are huge right. gaps there as well. Have you thought about your Sunday show yet? Because I saw you yeah. hosting this morning. Yeah. I see you all over the channel doing the, the doing your other legal thing, your side gig, your side hustle. Yeah, I, I tried to be like you, who has 18 side hustles, <laughs> and try to multitask same, at the same, same time. Same company, so, though. Yes, <laughs> same company. Um, you are everywhere, my friend, but that's a good thing. Um, yes, on Sunday, we're going to talk to RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel. You know, you've got these grumblings again, President Trump acting like, hey, I may decide I'm not going to show up at the at the debates. That would be an issue. And, you know, this idea, too, that um, we've asked a lot of different candidates about will you pledge to support whoever the GOP nominee is? And it's not just President Trump acting like, eh, maybe not. Um, will there be a pledge to ask people not to run third party? I mean, there are just so many headaches um, for the RNC as they move ahead. Um, we'll talk about new polling. We've also got Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen to talk about President Biden's a decision to run again, the polling that shows people are really worried about his age. Democrats don't want him running. And the debt ceiling, where now you have Democrats and Republicans alike mm-hmm. saying, all right, they got to sit down and talk. You know, what's the message for the White House at this point? Because they say no negotiations. Right. And I'm just wondering, have you thought about people uh, for your panel? Oh, yeah. We've got two different panels this week because guess what? We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision leaking, the one that overturned Roe v. Wade, and we still don't know who the leaker is. So we've got a special panel of former clerks, professors, um, legal experts to come join us to talk about that, uh, to get some more insight on the inner workings of the court, and also all these ethics questions and, you know, these threats to drag the chief justice up to the Hill under a subpoena. Um, We've got a lot to talk about on the legal front. I, you know what? I don't envy you trying to jam that into one hour, but the only thing that might help you is to watch my show first. Saturday night. Appointment viewing. Are you kidding me? Saturday night at 8, and then just do the opposite. What's the And name then of the one show? of us will get ratings. <laughs> 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 they can't dislike everything we say. Well, I know. Uh, you, you throw enough spaghetti on the wall, something's going to stick. <laughs> That's my life. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Shannon See Breen. Saturday and Sunday. All right. Bye. When we come back, I take your calls. My last chance, and I promise to take them. I see everybody out there. And then Admiral Chervides, I have not talked to him in about a month. The world has gone crazy since. I can't wait. I hope you can't wait to listen. And keep in mind, One Nation, Saturday, 8 o'clock. We have some great guests coming your way, including first time ever on TV, except for when they're on TV together, Will Kane and Pete Hegseth. Unbelievable. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Thank you, Mr. Goodell. I'd also like to thank the NFL, the New York Jets, and the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Northeastern New York for giving me this opportunity tonight. With the 15th pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the New York J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets select Will McDonald, linebacker, Iowa State. Let's go! Uh, that That is a make-a-wish kid, a big Jet fan. Uh, they didn't like the pick. They weren't booing him. That's so cool. Uh, he's going to be on Fox & Friends tomorrow. So that's kind of cool. Fox & Friends weekend. Hey, Wally, you're listening to St. Pete Beach in Florida. What's on your mind, Wally? What's up there, Brian? I'm just uh... – I'm a ditch digger on my going on my lunch break, so I got a few minutes. I just goes, was going to weigh in that um, if you're a Republican and for the 2024 election, you should hope that Joe Manchin enters the race because every election's a popularity contest, and you want an alternative to Joe Biden. I would argue that once uh, Joe Biden has been, you know, his shortcomings have been exposed when the cloak of Congress was removed from him. He yep. was able to hide his incompetence amongst all the other members of Congress. Well, I mean, that's possible. But the other thing would be, too, a lot of people, if it's Trump, they'll say, well, OK, that's the moderate I'm looking for. But the theory, the conventional theory is yours, Wally. Eric, listening online in Florida. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to touch base on George Washington's farewell address when he talked about the problems with the two-party system mm-hmm. and the fact that we can't agree to, to get anything done. So my question is, is who's the candidate that could come forth and understand what the people want, like a Tim Scott from South Carolina, understand what the people want, but understand fiscal responsibility and have strong conservative values and really, really get the country to come together instead of divide on every issue. Good point. Uh, there is a there is a problem with the two-party system right now. Very few people going across the aisle, and the people that get the most attention are the ones that are most radical on the right and the left. When we come back, let's talk about war and peace. Admiral James Tarvitas, this better be a big spring for Ukraine, or I'm pretty sure the West support it will melt away. Are they ready? We'll talk about it. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What's his motivation here? I think his motivation is to get closer to the Europeans. I mean, the Europeans have been pulling back uh, from China economically as a result of what has taken place with Xi signing uh, with Russia. And I think he wants to get some credits here in terms of him being on a world stage and exercising diplomacy. You saw what he was able to do in bringing Saudi Arabia and Iran together, and he got a lot of credit for that. And I think that's what he's attempting to do here. Remember, he wants to take the place of the United States as the world's global leader and acting as a diplomatic uh, person on the world stage is something the United States has done for generations. Right. We'll see. Can China pull this one off? Kind of hard knowing that everybody knows they're supplying Russia with all the support necessary. And who knows about military support? They might be hiding it well. There are some some of those uh, some of those documents reveal perhaps they are bringing lethal weapons into the theater. Can they actually broker a peace? 
Admiral James Stravitas joins us now, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO and best-selling author. Admiral, what are your thoughts about what China's up to? You know they're not going to walk out with a peace deal unless Russia walks out of Ukraine. Yeah, no way. And uh, General Jack, uh, as always, is uh, on point. Um, A, Xi is trying to ingratiate himself with the Europeans because they're a huge market for him. And B, um, he does not want the Ukraine war to spin into a nuclear confrontation because that'll blow up his economy uh, right as he is finally starting to get some momentum coming out of all of their misguided views on COVID and all the lockdowns. So uh, he's got those motivations. He'll continue to play the card. Um, He wants to be the the big actor on the stage. I don't think it's going to work for exactly the reason you indicated. The Ukrainians are not going to roll over for uh, President Xi and give up uh, 15 percent of their country. Absolutely not. What about what is your take of that ambassador uh, making that statement in France over the weekend Uh, that not recognizing the sovereignty of the uh, the Eastern European countries that were once part of the Soviet Union. What was that about? Uh, it was just outrageous on his part because, you know, this is not only Ukraine, which was his, his obvious target, but if you take that definition, that's all the Warsaw Pact countries. Uh, Ten of them are members of NATO now. It's the Czech Republic, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, etc. So it's a preposterous comment. And I, I will say this, uh, Beijing walked it back instantly, slapped the ambassador down. And frankly, I think the fact that Xi picked up the phone and called uh, Zelensky is probably because he knew his ambassador had said uh, something way, way wrong to the Europeans. So I think that plays into the same analysis that General Jack and I are giving you about this situation. So the, in terms of tanks, armored vehicles, are there enough to start this surge that you know of in Ukraine? I think it's close. Um, there are probably 200-plus tanks there now, uh, a mix of uh, old Soviet ones, not so great, but some of those new Leopard tanks coming from Germany and Poland and other uh, NATO countries are, are there. Um, it, it, to me, it's a mystery why the U.S. can't get the M1A1 Abrams tanks moving more quickly there. Uh, but let's say for sake of argument, Brian, there are 250 tanks there, probably 800 armor personnel carrier from my sources. I think that's enough to get this show on the road. And I think it's coming in the next four weeks. Interesting. Uh, That would be something to see Ukrainians on the offensive again. But the big worry for Ukrainians is the Russians have about a year to dig in. They've been holding the line. Are you worried about the infrastructure they might have been able to set up? Absolutely. We say in uh, the military, you ought to show this one off next time you talk to Jack Keane, that um, defense is to offense as three is to one meaning that the defenders have a three-to-one advantage simply because they're behind, your point, hardened positions that they put in place. And let's face it, for much of this war, it's been the Ukrainians on the defensive, but now they're ready to truly go on the offensive. That's, I would argue, the most important point in the war. And yes, I am concerned about the amount of time the Russians have had to dig in. Let's hope they're as incompetent at digging trenches 
as they are at overall logistics and pretty much everything else. So let's talk about what China's doing, not uh, returning our calls, which is pathetic. The, the Secretary of yeah. State, they're looking to set up another meeting. He's not into that. Uh, they'd rather deal with Yellen than our State Department, who uh, seems to be relatively compliant. So not only are we not turning the screws, even though they've been acting uh, with their balloon and what they've been doing with Taiwan is unacceptable, how do we get back on the front foot with them? Uh, I think we, first and foremost, we do engage economically, and it's not just Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen. It's the Secretary of Commerce uh, who has an important role to play here, um, and her name is Ginny Raimundo. I think you put the two of them on the front end of this thing to kind of crack things open, but then your point, Brian, um, we, we can't deal with China purely economically, because frankly, that's what they want. They want to have access to our markets, but still be able to uh, sit on top of Taiwan. So next step would be you suit up Tony Blinken and you insist to the Chinese that um, we're going to have that meeting. I think they'll ultimately take that. And then third in the queue, you get Lloyd Austin over there. But let's face it, we've got a ways to go here. You lead with the economics. That's where you can get G's attention the most quickly. Yeah, I just I just find it they need us. And I don't think they're fully cognizant of that. But they I am do. I just think that we need a comprehensive plan to stop them in Africa, to confront them in Latin America, let alone protect Taiwan. They have a plan for almost every uh, continent. Where's ours? Yeah, we don't have one, and and I think it's shameful. And here I really applaud the hearings that the House are putting on, uh, led by uh, chairman of the Select Committee on China and Intelligence, uh, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, uh, doing a superb job. And by the way, it's a pretty bipartisan committee. This is one thing that people kind of agree on. They had a big war game a week or so ago, and now they're putting – a plan together to get uh, weapons to Taiwan before a war strikes. What a concept. And um, I would love to see that committee take on the challenge of creating a real strategic plan to face China globally. We desperately Mm. need to do that. We have not done so. We know that uh, Erdogan is the sticking point with uh, expanding of NATO with Finland and Sweden. They'll let Finland go in, I think, and, and stop Sweden. And now we know Erdogan's health is an issue. We evidently had an incident on television. So Turkey's been a problem. Uh, They've been a square peg in a round hole for about 10 years. Where's that relationship going? And what would Erdogan being rotated out do? Yeah, the first thing to watch is the May elections there. And Erdogan is slightly behind in the polls uh, to the leading candidate to replace him. Um, They have a system where you have to go into a runoff. So I think we're looking at two months or so to get the answer to the question, uh, do we still have to deal with Erdogan? Erdogan has been an enormous challenge to deal with. Um, He tries to play both sides of the card. Very difficult. If he goes away, uh, Turkey's position vis-a-vis the alliance will be much better, and you would see Sweden Mm -hmm. come almost immediately into the alliance. Let's hope that's how it comes out. I just want to bring you to your column where you say Ukraine is running out of ammo and so are we. How do we change that? Um, We have to produce more. There's no mystery here. Think uh, December 1941. You've got to really go to the defense base in the country, uh, mobilize it, 
and by the way, it's not just us. It's the Europeans who can produce more as well. Um, we, we have this capacity. It's really a matter of will to ramp up, especially on the things they need, like I talk about in the column, um, artillery shells, tanks, and above all, my view, combat aircraft. Unbelievable. Uh, I just look around and I see Russia shooting down our drones, Russia taking a Wall Street Journal reporter, China not returning our calls, coming into trying to even make access into Mexico. The the government flipped in Brazil as well as uh, uh, as well as Colombia. Uh, I, I see I see a lack of respect around the globe for us, Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, this is unacceptable, Admiral. I mean, we deserve better than this. Uh, from the State Department, our Defense Department, and from the White House? Um, Certainly, we have work to do globally. And frankly, Brian, I think a lot of the current moment began with the the debacle of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so we dug a hole that we're going to have to refill. And I think to refill it, we need a, first and foremost, a strong defense. That means a strong defense budget that's buying the right things. And we have to find ways to continue to mobilize, bringing alliances together. Um, Correct on your point. On the plus side of the ledger, it's worth pointing out uh, a good thing is the way the United States has led the coalition to stand against Russia in Ukraine, perhaps too slowly at times, not on the front foot, But that, I would say, is on the positive side of the ledger. There are certainly examples on the negative side, as you indicate. Except for France. France saying, I'm not going to take sides when it comes to Taiwan. France calling up uh, President Xi, say, call Zelensky. What's he trying to do? Um, This is uh, something France has done consistently since the time of Charles de Gaulle. The French um, are always ambivalent about U.S. engagement in Europe, despite the fact that it was the United States that saved them both in World War One and World War Two, uh, but they have their own view of themselves as as the preeminent civilization of Europe. I think uh, Macron is channeling that. I think he's in the wrong place to do so. Uh, the right answer for Europe is coming together. If you bring them together, they could stand alongside the United States collectively. Their economy, same size as ours. Their military's not bad. Um, overall. Right. Um, in my view, Macron is trying to dominate Europe on behalf of France. I think it's the wrong move for the continent. You know, I just feel as though this this every time the Pentagon talks, they're talking about equity and they're talking about greening their, you know, getting electric tanks. I mean, does, does this worry you that people that really don't have the military background don't understand what the military should be doing? Uh, Brian, you broke up a little bit, but uh, if the question is, Um, Where is the military in its preparation, its motivation, its morale? Um, Everything I can see, it's a fighting force that's ready to go and take on our nation's enemies. All right. Uh, I just don't know in the middle of a war battle we're going to be able to to charge our tanks. Can you tell people that we're going to need gas-powered tanks for a while? Brian, I think our tanks are going to do just fine in the next war. Right. I just don't want to have to bring an outlet with me. Uh, Admiral, <laughs> thanks so much. Appreciate it. Um, okay, Brian. Yep. Talk soon. Bye bye. I'm not kidding. They're talking about getting high. You know, they're talking about getting electric tanks with uh, five ton tanks and four ton batteries. No joke. Where do you put the people? When we come back, uh, we find out if there's more to know. 
coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm just looking at my watch. I think it's time to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, let's talk NBA. The Miami Heat just stunned the Milwaukee Bucks, winning five games. Uh, they become a very small number of uh, number eight seeds in the playoffs to ever advance. They'll play the Knicks. Game one will be on Sunday. They've had a great robbery in the past, about 20 years ago. We'll see if they can dial it back again today. Next. Roll Tide. Panthers pick Alabama's Bryce Young as the number one pick overall, making him the first Tide player to go number one overall uh, in the modern draft. Really dates back to Joe Namath. Here's Bryce. What's his... With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. All right, rounding out the top five, C.J. Stroud of Houston. Uh, the the Texans uh, got another pick from Arizona, Will Anderson, Jr. Uh, the Colts got uh, quarterback Anthony Richardson for all our Florida listeners. Uh, Seattle Seahawks picked up cornerback Devon Weatherspoon. Uh, the Cardinals uh, drafted offensive tackle Paris Johnson Jr. of Ohio State. And that's a quick look at what happened in the beginning. But oftentimes, franchises are made on the next day. That's today. Brittany Griner receiving a standing ovation as she entered her first news conference since returning home after that long bout in jail in Russia in a penal colony. Here's what she said, cut 49. I would say to, to everyone that is wrongfully detained um, right now across the world, stay strong, keep fighting, don't give up, um, just keep waking up, find a little routine and, and stick to that routine and as best you can. I know that's what, what helped me, just finding little things. That helped them, uh, and hopefully that'll happen for everybody else detained, including Paul Well and, and our own Wall Street Journal reporter. Next, the best game shows of all time. Top five, here it goes. Number five, The Price is Right. Man, I thought that would be number one. Number four, The Family Feud. You can't shake it. It's been around since 1976. Actually, The Price is Right longer, 56. Number three, and I remember Regis Philbin hosted this. It was a big hit in primetime, Who Wants to Be a Billionaire? Uh, now that was originally a British import. The show debuted in America in 1999. Still Miss Regis. Wheel of Fortune, number two. I remember Chuck, uh, Chuck Woolery was the first host there, 1964 to present. 64, really? Uh, Jeopardy, number one. Uh, that is the number one overall. And guess what? Merv Griffin created number one and number two. Next. Stop using your phone on the toilet, especially if, it's, if it is uh, with you when you eat. Microbiologists warn that humans are now constantly carrying their bacteria and viruses in their pockets and spread them wherever they go. This is worrying to those bacteria that can cause skin, gut, and respiratory infections. Study also show that even when you clean your home with antibacterial wipes or alcohol can still be recolonized by microorganisms. Who's got the microscope walking around checking everybody's house? 
I think it's probably some college kids, you know, doing some thesis on this. I mean, they're not checking in your house, but I'm sure they just grab random phones. Next. Best cartoons of all time. I believe after a certain age you should stop watching, but that's me. Number five, tell me if you know this, Avatar, The Last Airbender? Apparently it's on Nickelodeon. You don't Um, watch this? I think my kids are still a little young for it, so no, I have not. Four, BoJack Horseman came in 2014. Number three, Simpsons, obviously, since 1999. No list of greatest cartoons could be complete with that. What did I say? 99. Oh, 89, yes. Number two, Batman the Animated Series since 1992. And number one, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes are quite literally the great granddaddy of animation, they say. A collection of uh, animals and zany humans defined by the genre of slapstick, animated violence, and tropes. They started the movies way back in the 1930s. Bugs Bunny, Daffy, and company. It was kind of violent. I mean, people were hitting a lot of people back then. But the Three Stooges were hitting people, too. There were a lot of anvils that fell. Right. A lot of people getting crushed, going off cliffs. Yep. And who who thought that was a good idea, by the way? I mean, back then, the kids could handle it. In in one episode, Daffy Duck blows up. I mean, he came back next time. One Nation, Saturday at 8. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.